This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by TouringPlans.com. Head over to TouringPlans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the Crowd Calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the Touring Plans to save time and money waiting in line. TouringPlans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company, be they Pixar, Lucasfilm, Disney Toon Studios, everything in between. We talk about Disney and all of their filmed entertainment here on this program. I'm the host of the show, Ryan Kilpatrick, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find show notes for this show, Blu-ray and DVD reviews, historical reviews, and all kinds of great content. So make sure you head over to DisneyFilmProject.com and check out all there is to consume on that site. Joining me, as always, we have our wonderful film experts. First of all, there is Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who can neither confirm nor deny the presence of an alien race. That depends on how you look at it and what time of day you're asking me. And what your clearance level is? Yes, and whether or not I then have to kill you. So I won't ask again, and instead we'll introduce our other film expert, the one and only Miss Rachel Cole, who you can find over at JustPressPlay.net. How are you, Rachel? A little under the weather, but we're talking about The Rock tonight. I cannot miss this. You and apparently every other female in the country. My wife made sure to sit down and watch this movie with me, which is not her normal practice when we are watching the Disney Film Project films. <laughs> the the laughter you hear there is from the person who knew that would happen, which would be our fine producer, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find at about.me slash Cheryl P3 or on Twitter at Cheryl P3. And you knew that was going to happen, didn't you, Cheryl? Yes. Well, most of our movies are not such fine cinema as, as this. So, so, um, so I can look, I can see why she doesn't watch the other ones. Yeah, fi- fine cinema. Okay, all right. I am. I just took my top ten. Wow. Okay. All right. Yep. I'm adding this to. I well and uh, wait and we and after discussion this weekend, we I have a new favorite movie. Oh no! A new number one because my my old number one was not true. I decided I have a new number one movie. Okay. Well, don't leave us in suspense. What's what's the new number one? When we talk about it, I will tell you. No. Yes. All right. <laughs> All right. And also, from time to time on this program, we invite friends, guests, compatriots from around the Disney community to join us and talk about some of these films. And so joining us tonight, we have Randy Crane, who you may know as the host of the Stories of the Magic podcast, author of the books Once Upon Your Time and the soon-to-be-released Faith and the Magic Kingdom. How are you today, Randy? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. My pleasure. I'm happy to be on here to talk about this movie. Or, okay, let's be honest, any movie. I'm just happy to be on here. <laughs> I was going to say, if if you had really been kind of waiting and waiting to talk about uh, tonight's subject, I would kind of worry about you. Not that, <laughs> not that it's bad, just it's, you know, although Cheryl apparently is putting it in her top ten favorite movies. So I've go. been begging Cheryl for weeks to add this movie to the queue just so that I could be on here. 
Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to dig deeper into this psychology uh, because we are discussing the final in our Witch Mountain trilogy, even though yep. this one's not related to the others. Uh, Race to Witch Mountain, the 2009 remake, which sort of reimagines the original film Escape to Witch Mountain and the original novel uh, Escape to Witch Mountain by Alexander Key, uh, starring the aforementioned Dwayne The Rock Johnson and several other people who you probably have seen before but don't remember their names. That'd be a fair way to say it. <laughs> if that's a good yeah. way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of people when you watch the movie, you go, oh, that's that guy from that thing. And you're like, who's that girl? Yes, exactly. Who's, who's that waitress? Yes. Right. Yeah, there, there, there's a lot of that. Not, uh, like discussed in prayer podcast. She does not look like, she does not look much like her her child star self. No, not at, due, not at all. Due to the wonders of plastic surgery. So if you, if you recall back in the late 2000s, and I guess they're still doing it to some degree, but have tailed off a great bit, uh, Disney went back into the vault and started remaking some of their old films. So you had uh, Freaky Friday reimagined as a vehicle for Lindsay Lohan. You had the Herbie movies with Lindsay. You had... Um, you know, so, some of those sorts of things. We had Parent Trap. We had Dalmatians back in the 90s. I mean, this is a, a thing Disney was doing back in these days. And, of course, they had eventually come to the 70s and decided to remake the Witch Mountain films. And they had just had some success with The Rock in some other films, such as Game Plan. And they decided to take advantage of his action movie cred and reimagine Escape to Witch Mountain as an action film. Also, I think they took they took his WWE popularity since he was nice and popular with the WWE still. Yeah, yeah, yep. to this day. And this is this is actually the same director uh, worked on Race to Witch Mountain as the the game plan. It's the same director, which is interesting because the action in that not so much, and lots of action. Some might say a little too much in this one. I was going to say, you can't have too much uh, action by The Rock. That's You can't have too much of a good thing. Fair enough. Yeah, some of this action was even actually done by him and not just the kids. So it seems like most of the action, then like the, the, the real heavy lifting of that action, seemed to be the two kids. Yeah, true. Yeah, no, this is this is night and day from the other Witch Mountain movies, uh, where I think the first one, safe to say, is is fairly low on action, apart from the obligatory 70s Disney car chase. Uh, the second one has a little bit more with the two kids fighting against each other at the urging of the evil Christopher Lee, whereas this one is, like, all action all the time uh, and, and, and kind of goes along those lines from the very beginning. So they, they kind of successively get more and more action-packed uh, to, to where we get to this one, which is the most successful in terms of box office of the three. Uh, over 100 million box office on a budget of 50 million, so definitely put Disney in the mindset that they wanted to, to do some more things with The Rock, although I don't recall that they've done a lot more with him since this. I don't think they've done anything. No. Yeah. They haven't. Interesting thing, though, uh, the the first movie um, versus this one, this movie, the kids never use a gun. The good guys never use a gun. The original Escape to Witch Mountain, the girl pulls a gun on the bad guys. So there's actually, even though there's more action in this, 
there's you could argue less violence, maybe. Well, at least well, on the part of the good guys. I was gonna say, with the exception of the Rock beating everyone up, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was gonna get. Okay, at. less less gunplay at least. They're uh, yes. they're beating up people, but they're not shooting it. They're not threatening to shoot anyone. This is a this is a true statement that you make here. Yeah, so the, the, this was this was the Rock's big tryout to, for a franchise with Disney, and uh, obviously they haven't made more movies since then uh despite the success i mean this did make a decent amount of money so uh but i think disney was looking for a, a 200 million dollar type hit and, and didn't get it so they, they kind of moved on from there i have a very important question yes why is this girl like a clone for Lindsay lohan i think you know the answer to that and i don't think we want to talk about it okay fair i want to i want to say she's more of a clone of hayden from um heroes Pantier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like Anna Sophia Rob. I mean, other places you guys might have seen her would be she was Leslie in Bridge to Terabithia, and she was Violet Beauregard in the remake uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So she's done other movies that I've enjoyed, aside from Race to Witch Mountain, which I think automatically puts her on higher standing with me than Lindsay Lohan. It's true enough. (laughs) <laughs> Although I, I have to say I do enjoy I, I have enjoyed many of Lindsay Lohan's movies, but not anything else about her. That's the whole story. I agree. Like the aforementioned Freaky Friday remake, I actually like. So yes, yes. I agree. That that was very surprisingly good. Yes, it As was. Uh, I can't remember what the, what the other movie that she made. There was another Disney movie she made that I actually really liked. Um, Parent Trap. So, no, besides Parent Trap and the Herbie movies, there was another she, one. That, she made a made-for-TV movie. I can't remember what it was called, though. I, I think that's the one I'm thinking of. But Yeah, well, she's like the kid, the kid spy thing. I can't remember what it is. Yeah. Oh, wait. I thought she did that one with uh, with Tyra Banks where it was like a living Barbie or something. Oh, or am God. I thinking of another that one? That was one of Bree's favorite. That was, <laughs> that was one of Bree's favorite movies. Yep. And that that is called Life Size with Tyra Banks. That's a, that's a really good movie. Um, I also like um, her in Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. That's yeah, the me one too. I was thinking mm-hmm. of, Cheryl. That's the one I was thinking that's, of. That's that exactly really what I think of. Yeah. We have spent a lot of time talking about someone who's not in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> we have. That's true. It's very true. Um, but no, I think this movie was sold to everyone on the basis that this was The Rock's kind of his big role uh, to be the, the lead. Because in other movies, he had been sort of the side guy, besides with the possible exception of The Scorpion King, uh, the, the Mummy sequel. Uh, and that one was really sold on him and... The, the the previous movies, but this was this was his breakout film, uh, and he kind of disappeared for a little while. Came back f- with the uh, Fast and Furious films, and from then it's been pretty much game on for him. Yeah, I I, I kind of sort of feel like if, if you're comparing this to Escape, Escape is has a lot more people and a lot less powers, and this one has a lot less people and a lot more you know beating people up using superpowers. Yes, but but the the powers are better defined in this movie. I will oh. argue. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Yeah, I would say that this one is the best as far as the actual story of what's going on and defining that. Like in the in the first one, you know, we we had the whole complaint about the fact that you know the the two, the two kids we we all kind of knew that they were aliens, but they just teased it out for no good reason and all that kind of stuff. And then the second one that was the 
you know, we don't really know why the Christopher Lee wants to steal the kid and it, it, it's sort of unnecessarily long. This one I felt did the best job of at least there's a reason for everything that happens. You can argue whether it's a good reason or a logical one, but there is a reason for what for all the, the different plot actions. Yeah, I thought, especially early in the movie, a lot of the setup with um, with his background with the the criminals and then how that played into him thinking that the feds were these guys coming after him, I thought that that played in really well to character motivation and um, and just getting things going and as far as all the dynamics and why he was so set initially on, I'm going to get you where you're going I'm, because I feel like I've pulled you into all this mess and that he feels like it's on him when in fact it's actually these kids it's technically their fault that he's being chased by the feds yeah yeah this is one of those movies where you have to set aside the idea of uh, coincidence and just roll with it if, if you're one of those people that goes now what's the likelihood that that guy would be driving that cab at that time you, you're just going to have to get over that well the other thing is as Tyler pointed out to me is that the the cab aspect as well as a nod to to the second movie? Right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of nods to the other two movies all throughout this movie, so it's not hard to see that. Yep, absolutely. So uh, let, let's let's let our guest Randy though. Uh, when did you, was this the first time you'd seen this, Randy? No, it was actually the second time. I, I don't get to the movies a lot, but this was one that I actually did see in the theater. Oh, nice. I. I Believe it. Yeah, I took I took the whole family to this. As a matter of fact, I asked, I we, so after I bought this on Amazon, we go looking at my little DVD cabinet over here that my friend Tom arranged rearranged on me. And guess what we found out? <laughs> you already had it. I already owned it. <laughs> <laughs> so Betsy, our our friend Betsy, now has a copy of that. Thanks to Tom. And his rearranging skills. Nice. Yeah, it, it's it, it's one that uh, is at, a little bit out of print these days, which is surprising uh, for, well, being, for buy, being there. You can rent it for $8 on YouTube. That's a good deal, I have to say. Because versus $5 at Blockbuster, which is what I found it on as well. Blockbuster.com, folks, if you really cheap. <laughs> $5 on Blockbuster, $8 on YouTube. And or eight dollars for a hard copy on Amazon. None of those op- none of those options are really that expensive for this movie, which I thought again, it's a decent price. Yeah, if you got if you got a nice TV, renting a movie for five bucks or eight bucks to to watch in high def is is not bad. If you got a group of people to watch, that's right. All right, so let's let's talk about the movie. It is so if the first two movies sort of soft pedaled the alien uh, connection. To a degree, right? Like they just showed, you know, Uncle Jesse with the kids and it was like, you know, alien hillbillies, I guess. This one sort of hits you over the head with it from the get-go. I mean, the entire opening credit sequence is like headlines about Roswell. There's some nods to the previous films in in the headlines that you see flashing through. Yeah, I mean, it is all kinds of stuff about, you know... Uh, aliens and UFOs and all this kind of stuff. Did you catch all the nods to the previous film, Todd? I assume you did because I know you. Yeah, yeah. They they mentioned you know Stony Creek and a, and a few other things in there as well. And they uh, had a, had a picture of someone who's saying a quote from one of the from the original movie. I can't remember what the quote is though. So 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. But you're right. I mean, they like you said, they talk about Roswell. They talk about Area 51. They show uh, stuff about Project Blue Book. Um, you know, so that like you said, they're just driving it all home. Uh, and I like that they also mention uh, the Rendlesham Forest incident, which is the UK version of Roswell. Oh, nice! I didn't know that. Yeah, so it, that's that's. Yeah, that's the United Kingdoms. They basically, uh, like, every UFO is apparently, in the UK, has apparently crashed in the Rendlesham Forest. That's interesting. I, I had no idea. So, yes. All right. I, also, you know what else is a reference? Because it comes up very early in the movie, so I figured, you know, we can just go right to it. Is, um, sure. The, the Burke and his men are working for a Project Moondust. Yes. Okay, Project Moondust is a real legitimate Air Force project. Really? Yes. It is. It, it's the uh, project. It was a secret project, but now it's it's the, it's uh, you know out there with all the rest of this stuff. And um, what it's for is for recovering returning space debris, so stuff that falls back to the planet from stuff that we launch up is what oh, it's actually okay. technically for. I'm so, not sure it is. Yes, precisely. Yeah, that's better than Project Moon Pilot, which would be a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like in the first two movies, it's it, you know, you, in the second one, you do see the UFO, but again, it's still soft pedaled to a degree. Like you know, it's yes, they're aliens, but let's get them out of the spaceship and move on with the fact of them being kids for a while. And the first one, of course, we don't get to that until the very end. But this one, it's right from the very beginning, and then we get the crash. And we have Burke's men that we mentioned. Henry Burke uh, comes in and leads the black helicopters, literally, uh, to the crash site. And we get the whole, you know, creepy government guy investigating all of the different angles. Uh, He is, you know, he's there from the beginning, and it's fairly obvious that he's the bad guy. And he is the one who will menace our heroes throughout the entire film, along with we we have one other protagonist, because it's not enough to have one bad guy. You have to have two. Of course, absolutely. One bad guy makes the plot way too easy to follow. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I actually called his two buddies Sidekick 1 and Sidekick 2. <laughs> which, which one of those guys was Tom Everett Scott? Which did, yes. Do you guys remember when he was in That Thing You Do and he was going to be the next biggest Hollywood actor? Yep, yes. Oh, yeah. You, it, was dri- it was driving me crazy. I could not figure out where I knew him from yeah, until I MDB'd him. Yeah, and, and and that didn't necessarily work out. And you know what he's famous for now? Race Twitch Mountain, obviously. <laughs> yeah, no, the voice <laughs> to Booster Gold. Really? Oh, yes. nice. Yes. <laughs> nice. Um, real quick, before we get too much farther into it, I've got a question about the opening montage that I'm hoping somebody researched and found out or just knows the answer to. Okay. Um, that clip of President Clinton in the opening there? Yeah. Where did that come from? When did he talk about that? <laughs> or did they just completely like, I, fabricate that? I think they just pulled something out of I, I don't out of the air. I, I think they just strung stuff together because it's easy enough to do. Yeah, my guess is they might have also gotten like an impersonator or something to do a little bit of ADR on it. I don't know. That's, yeah. That would be my guess on it. Yeah, something kind of like they do with uh, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. And 
you know, being able to work with the audio that way that they must have. Cause like, that was just, it wasn't specific to the movie, but it was specific enough to, you know, aliens and things. I was like, where did they get that from? <laughs> so, okay. We can move on now. Thank That's you. That's fine. No problem. Yeah, fair enough. Well, I want yeah. to make a quick note about Kieran Hines, who plays uh, the bad guy in this. Um, uh, people who watch Game of Thrones would know him as Mance Raider. Um, and Disney fans would also have last seen him in John Carter. And for Harry Potter fans, they would know him as Aberforth Dumbledore, Dumbledore's brother from the last Harry Potter movie. Which I never would have figured out. Yeah, he's one of these actors that he's always working. You're always seeing him in stuff, and he's always popping up all over the place. Uh, you know, he's and he's also kind of one of those character actors that has that distinctive face that you go, wow. I know I know you from somewhere, but I just can't place it. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's he he definitely has a distinctive face, that's for sure. And a very menacing one in this in this movie. That's for sure. Yeah, so this uh then segues into the introduction of our hero, which is the one and only Dwayne the Rock Johnson played uh playing the role of Jack Bruno. And so he comes online in a cab and he picks up the, the lead actress Carla Gugino and I don't even know her name from the movie. Like I've I've seen the movie twice now and I don't even remember her name. Um uh, so I had to look it up. It's Dr. Alex Friedman. <laughs> but she's so like unimportant necessarily you know what i mean like in the whole scheme of things this is his movie she just kind of is a plot device really yes yes it, but ryan you forgot we have our star wars connection before she climbs into the cab yes we true do. we have uh two stormtroopers in the cab <laughs> who come I, back just, later just just because they are <laughs> I, I also want to point out that Nevada Law NRS 99 has nothing to do with weapons. I looked it up. It has to do with payment, repayment of loans and minting of money. So you're saying The Rock lied. I'm thinking maybe The, po- the Rock was planning to be on Pawn Stars someday. <laughs> it's entirely possible. <laughs> you made me think of the Steve Carell episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we have two stormtroopers, and then they get kicked out by the rock, and then here, here comes Dr. Alex Friedman, who is going to the UFO convention. Uh, this becomes an important plot device later on in in the film. But uh, yes, he he drops her off at the UFO convention and goes home to his trashy motel, and you know we we get the tortured rock the one who's punching the punching bag cuz he can't sleep because he can't make ends meet and we see the pile of bills it's like they try to build pathos for him in this part and i'm like it just don't don't yeah. we we don't care the, but the, there, there there is an important detail in that scene though which is the the poster for bullet in the background which ties yes. back to the car later on yes yeah, because you do get that part. I do like the way that they do that because if anybody knows Steve McQueen and Bullet, you know, it's all about car chases. And we get the next day, the two thugs, as he's trying to pull his cab out, uh, stop him. And we find out that he was a, a driver for, for the mob. And so he was a getaway driver. So clearly he wanted to drive fast like Steve McQueen and Bullet. And then he references it again later in the movie. So you get at least an idea of why he's such a good driver and – and those sorts of things from that. It's a good catch there, Rachel. I, 
I, I just wanted to say that the hotel that he's the motel that he's using to live in yes. uh, was was sadly torn down this year. So fans can't go visit it anymore. Was it torn Wait. down or blown up? No, no, it's it. Well, whatever. You know, it's Vegas. They, 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 they I mean, basically, the buildings go up almost as fast as they tear down the old ones in Vegas. I, I don't even know why they can't build. It takes them twelve years to build a building anywhere else. In Vegas, it's like two days, and there's a building. Uh, well, that, no, ho- that hotel wasn't all that great looking, anyways. It no, no, but it was. Surprise me. But it was a. Uh, it was a Vegas. The Ferguson Motel was a Vegas. Uh, you know, icon for uh, like fifty, sixty years. So just so you're aware of that. Ah, I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know it either. Good to know. Uh, all right, so. What happens as soon as he pulls out of that lot, he discovers that he has two blonde children in his back seat, which I don't know about you, but when I turn around and there's two blonde children in my back seat, I get worried that something, you know, bad is going to happen. Or someone has switched your children to other children. Right. See, I'm, I'm used to one blonde child, but two, that's trouble, is what I'm saying here. I, I had a question. So there's like a quick intermission uh, back to Burke's men in the middle of all this where they refer to the aliens as EVEs, and I was wondering if that was a reference to Wally. No, they it's in the intro. It's, uh, what is it, extraterrestrial biological entity. Oh, it's EBE. See, I thought it was EVE. Yeah, so did I. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's EBE. It's in the intro. It kind of flashes by in one of those things. Fair enough. Because they're flashing headlines and stuff. A quick note about his the Rock's reaction shot. It's actually pretty famous on the internet because it some people turned it into an internet meme. Um, yes. <laughs> which, if you do a quick Google search, you will find quite a few. Some of them not quite so clean, but they're pretty funny. Animated GIFs are the best. Yes, they are. <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, so they uh, show up in the back of his car, introduce themselves as Seth and Sarah, and they give him this giant wad of cash and say, just drive in that general direction. (laughs) Which which makes him very suspicious. (laughs) The way he deals with them is hysterical, because he just has this way of like, he's like, all right, it's a lot of money. I'm just going to keep going and ignoring the stupidity of this. Well, you know, he calls them out on it at first. He's like, you know, I need something more specific. And they start giving him longitude and latitude. And finally he's like, okay, we're just going to stick with that direction. (laughs) He sort of gets frustrated before he does anything else. You know what I mean? It is convenient, though, that when they drive into the desert, there's always roads. Well, out of Vegas, that would be true. (laughs) I've I've done it before. (laughs) Yeah, and as far as him not asking questions, this is a Vegas cab driver. The, the people that get into his cab with a lot of money, he's probably not going to ask a lot of questions about where they got it. Very valid point. It's a I good point. That. Very, very valid point. Yeah, so he starts driving away, and that's when, like Todd said, we have this interlude with Burke and his men, and they are tracking down... Uh, the EBEs, which we now know is Seth and Sarah. Uh, so there's no mystery about like where the kids are from and any of that stuff. It's they're aliens. We know it. We're moving on. And so they start chasing the rock and and the kids uh, down the highway. Uh, he thinks the rock thinks Bruno 
that these are the mob guys basically trying to pull him back in or you know extract some sort of revenge for him turning them down because they say that you know the mob would come and get him so they, it, we have a great car chase and things smashing into each other it's it's the rock prepping for his role in the fast and furious films can, can i say though there's one very important scene here yes and that is when the car hits seth because that whole thing with seth's powers completely 100 percent prove the vision can be done in a movie Yes, I yes. agree. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I mean, without a doubt, like it's 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 brilliant. I mean, it's it's that level of special effects. So it's just that's one thing I want to say is I'm re- always very happy to watch the special effects in this movie because I've seen this movie about six times now. So yeah, or, well, well, uh, well, that's why you not why you've seen this movie six times. This is one of my favorites. Yes, or or Todd in a TV show. This could, the vision could work. Just oh, saying. Just it saying. Could, it's possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could. Well, we have to say, see which way the transistor flies next year. Or two years Indeed. from now, right? Two years. Indeed. Or, you know, I'm just saying the vision could already be on TV. What? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the vision could be your TV. I'm just, I'm just saying, we still don't know what the story is with old Agent Coulson, but that's another story for another day. Yeah. But yes, yeah, Seth, Seth phases through the back of the car and then alters his molecular density so that the car hits him, and that kind of helps them get away, uh, which is really cool. And like, like Rachel said, the powers are well-defined here. That's his power, and then she has the telepathy and telekinesis powers, and never the twain shall meet in and, this movie. It, and she has... Talking with with animals power. Yes. Let's not forget that one. Yes. Very important. When it comes to the dog later, yes, it it does become quite important. But yes, so they arrive at this abandoned house, and the teenagers throw them throw him all the money. It's about fifteen thousand dollars or so. I think is what he says, and they run into the house. He doesn't even see anyone there. He hears a loud crashing sound from inside the house, and first of all, he's concerned that they overpaid him. Then he's concerned about the kids because he feels like he got them into trouble with the whole, yeah, you know, with the mob thing. He doesn't understand that Burke and his men were from the government, not from the mob, and so he has to investigate the house. And I thought that's that's a like you said, Rachel. That's a good reason to to give him to actually go in because if. Normally, to your point of him being a Vegas cab driver handed a lot of money, he's just going to leave. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and he makes the whole point of saying it to them that they're trying to apologize and they're trying to explain what's going on and why these guys are chasing them. And he's like, no, 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 no. I, I know. I'm sure that it's these guys. I know that this is my fault. So I'm going to make sure that you guys get wherever you need to go safely. And he still has no idea that they have anything to do with any of these guys. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And so when he enters the house, that's when we get introduced to uh, all the secret passages and things that uh, <laughs> that Seth and Sarah have to go through, like a fridge, and there's apparently a Avatar-esque Pandora garden in, at the bottom. I, I mean, actually, there's all kinds I, of stuff. I actually wrote Star Trek II Rathacon Genesis Chamber. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So we, if Avatar fails, we can make this race to a mountain land. 
<laughs> which, sure. which which will be more successful though Can, I don't I don't know how well Race to Witch Mountain did at the box office it was the best of the three but I, 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 did it really do that well it, it didn't do Avatar numbers let's put it that way but it tripled out its money so yeah it's not so but we, bad but, but we still haven't gotten more Race to Witch Mountain movies as we pointed out, we also haven't gotten more uh, Disney Rock movies since then, so there's got to be a good reason for that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. The, the only thing that worries me in this is it, it, the, the pod things that, they, that they're looking at in this room that eventually explode <laughs> about five minutes ahead in the movie. Um, they uh, start to remind me of the invasion of the bat- body snatcher pods. They just have that look about them. They remind me yeah. of the pods from Cocoon. Yeah, same idea. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's 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 just a strange little little room, and then we have the siphon is coming after them. It's basically a giant alien in a suit. Uh, is coming at coming at them, uh, shooting at them, trying to stop them. Jack doesn't know what's going on, but he manages to get them away. Seth gets knocked unconscious. Um, he piles them into the cab. The siphon follows them in a spaceship. So we we get all kinds of great chase scenes in this, including the cha- the spaceship where they get to hide on the train tracks, and the scanner like barely misses them as it's scanning into the tunnel. I like that 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 was one of my favorite pieces of. I, it's just a cool idea um, did, that you don't see often. Did you catch the um, first movie reference about the uh, siphon? Even though the siphon is not something from the movie, the other movies, the Geranian series. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I um I also have an, uh, a secret conspiracy about the siphon. What if it's okay. maybe Count Dooku after he was hurt by the Emperor? No one. No. 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 Not from the last Nor- movie. You, you you know normally I'm with you on this stuff, Cheryl. <laughs> I know. <laughs> this this time I'm not I'm not there with you. Although it would have been great if at the end of the movie when they pulled the helmet off it was really they had Christopher Lee there. Yeah, that would have been actually good. <laughs> that, that actually would have been a nice callback to uh, the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a quick note about the guy who plays uh, Siphon that does the the work on that. That's Tom uh, Woodruff Jr. who's actually done special effects for everything from the original Terminator movie and Aliens, and he actually just did some special effects work on Ender's Game, which is going to be coming out next month. And better not stink. But yes, uh, they, they managed to get away from the siphon because they drive through a tunnel on a train track, and the siphon is coming right after them, and Sarah helps to force the car through the tunnel ahead of a train, which runs into the UFO. So once once we manage to escape from the train crash, uh, we we head to Stony Creek, which you might remember from the first couple of films, or the first film specifically, uh, as the site of Witch Mountain in that film. Uh, and this is where we get to re-encounter the people from the original movie, the original actors. All I say they're they're playing the same roles because they kind of play off of their names from the original. Yeah. That's true. They do. 
Yeah, because it's Sheriff Anthony and Waitress Tina. So I'm just saying, I think they're playing the same roles. Because, I mean, like, she recognizes the kids, not recognizes the kids, but, like, she looks at the kids and sees that something's wrong and it's played off as, you know, um, they're dirty, they need to be, you know, scrubbed up. And the, the sheriff knows Tina when he walks in, Sheriff Anthony, as in the longer version of Tony. See where I'm going here? I don't know. You know, she, to, to be fair, it's, uh, it, what if the whole town is just everybody, like, after they returned to the Real Witch Mountain and then they took over the town? A, yeah, it's like Men in Black. Like, it's a little uh, station for people, you know, for aliens to come in. Yeah. yeah, Stony Creek became the new commune for all the, uh, for the aliens. <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah, I could say it. All right. So, yeah, they go in, they, they manage to get a bite to eat, and uh, that's when uh, Burke shows up outside and sort of surrounds the house. Kind of like, It's kind of like in, the, in Avengers, you know, where all the guys are outside the Hulk's little cabin. That's what's kind of going on at this diner here. And he calls and sort of rubs it into Jack Bruno like a real jerk that, uh, that he's got him surrounded and that he's going to take the kids and basically that, you know, you, you gave us a good fight, but you lost. Right. And then he says, get going, you know, which is a theme that happens again later on. Yeah, he's, he's very eager to get rid of Jack Bruno, which I can understand because he's probably terrified of The Rock. I would be too. People's elbows got to hurt. Yeah, you would think so. Yes, but they, they do manage to get away with the help of, of, of Tony and, and Tina. Uh, Tony, the sheriff... Uh, the rock tips him off and says, you know, Hey, there's guys with guns outside and they come in, they managed to go and get from Cheech Marin, who was a, working in a garage in Stony Creek. So can we conclude from that, that Cheech Marin is an alien? I've always been convinced Cheech Marin was in fact an alien. <laughs> okay. Works for me. <laughs> so, uh, he was, a, he was operating a garage in Stony Creek. They had dropped the cab off to get it all repaired. And so they, they managed to get get the cab and get away. Uh, and Sarah pulls out of Bruno's brain uh, that Dr. Friedman had been in his cab earlier uh, and that they should go and consult with her about the whole alien thing. You forgot their new buddy. Oh, yeah, and I forgot they picked up the junkyard dog. No, junkyard the dog. <laughs> uh, sorry, I just remember the spiky collar. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> oh, those were the good old days. <laughs> but yeah, they pick up a dog for like no real reason. Just there's a dog. I think. Well, I think it's to hark back to the mo- original that they that she that the animal contact thing, and it was better yeah. than better than a goat. <laughs> better than a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I don't really know to, how to respond to that, so I'm just going to move on. <laughs> wow, it's true. It was better. It was better than the goat in escape in uh, return. You're you're correct. It's true. Uh, and but but junkyard does take a similar journey. It seems at the end of the movie because he shows up out of nowhere. But that's okay. 
But yeah, so they show up at the UFO convention to meet Dr. Alex Friedman, the Carlo Gugino character, and basically relate to her their story. Uh, and here's where we finally get the, the exposition dump, I guess, uh, of what's going on. And that is, it's kind of like Krypton, basically. Seth and Sarah were rocketed from their home because the government of their planet wants to invade Earth because their planet's dying. Uh, whereas the scientists, Seth and Sarah's parents, had done experiments uh, on Earth and other locations uh, trying to figure out ways to regrow vegetation and things on the planet. They were successful, but the government had already made up their mind they're going to invade the Earth and destroy it. So Seth and Sarah's parents sent them to Earth to find one of the experiments. The government sent the siphon after them to destroy them, and if they don't take the experiment back and prove to everyone what's going on, uh, then the Earth will be destroyed and their planet will be destroyed. It's a little convoluted. It is. Bas basically, sum up, it's science versus military. <laughs> it's, it's right. Well, a lot of science fiction is. And they also yes. um, help, help Dr. Freeman with, with her because they found out her smudge was our smudge, but their spaceship. That's right. Yes. Yeah, she had a smudge on her presentation that she said was she thought was a spaceship, and they confirmed it for her. Yes, and and her theory of using wormholes for interstellar travel. Yeah, she has a real fangirl moment, right? Because she's geeking out over the fact that there are aliens. That's that's her whole lifestyle. That's been her whole thing. Yes. So, uh, but she's not. The, so they know that the ship has been taken by the government, so they have to figure out a way to go get it. Uh, but they don't know where it would be. So they have to go and consult with yet another person at the convention, uh, which is Dr. Harlan, played by Gary Marshall. Yes. Who I don't know if he cast people around his home for this or not. He cast <laughs> eight nieces. There you go. <laughs> yeah, he's he's the, he's playing the conspiracy theorist at the science fiction convention. That's who he's playing. So Yes, he is. Because <laughs> I love how the Winnebago has uh, the tinfoil all over the inside of it. So <laughs> It does. Which, which our friend Tom will be, will, be, will be looking like when we see him around Disney. Oh, yeah. The, yeah the, t Tom wants to cover himself in tinfoil to block all the RFID symbols. <laughs> signals. I don't, I don't know if that's going to work for him, but I, I, w I do wish him luck. <laughs> But but our, Gary Marshall is play is also dressed like the uh, O'Day character from the first film. Yes, he was. And quick note about the convention: um, the when the guys all show up in the suits, the feds, uh, the fact that people think that they're part of the convention is actually very realistic because at New York Comic Con this year, the security guards ran into a problem that convention goers thought they were actually in costume and that they weren't real security guards. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of cool this scene too because they're doing the whole, um, they're reenacting like, like, a, like the worst possible science fiction television show scene ever near as I could tell, and it turns into a really cool moment, and all the con-goers are very, very happy. Yeah, it's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, that best convention ever was such a great line. <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. we, so let's continue. Yeah, so they, they do consult with Dr. Harlan, who tells them that uh, most likely their spaceship was taken to which mountain 
uh, which is now being redefined as not Stony Creek, the hippie commune for, for aliens, but instead a secret government base. Uh, and they drive the. They manage to pull a switcheroo where he drives away in the cab, and Bruno and the kids and Friedman drive away in the RV. Uh, and they head to Witch Mountain and make a five-mile hike to Witch Mountain. Yes, which seems a bit excessive. I'm just saying. Yeah, I, uh, uh, and it's you see Witch Mountain in the very very beginning, and it looks like a witch's face, like or what you would imagine like an evil witchy face might look like if it were a mountain. Right. Right. Yeah, that's what the that's what the the castle logo actually turns into, which mountain? Yeah, beginning. But yeah, so they arrive at the base, and like as soon as they're there, you see cameras following them, and yeah, it, they 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 are not exactly the best at breaking into the base uh, because they immediately get captured by Burke and his team. And this is what you were just talking about, Todd, about how he kind of is condescending to them, tells them to just walk away, uh, and and Bruno does. He he basically. Tr- tricks them into thinking that he's just walking away uh, when in fact he manages to slip the guards double back with Friedman and they sneak back into the base uh, and and as does the assassin, the siphon and we have a big fight and hullabaloo as we try to get to the spaceship. Yes, My, my notes at this point say that uh, Burke has Seth and Sarah in a state of comatose neutralization. Which he does. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. And the nice thing about the climax of this movie versus the others is that the stakes are very clearly defined. They flat out say that they will. Di- they these kids are going to get dissected like frogs in a science class if the Rock and Carl Gugino don't save them in time. More importantly, the world ends if they don't yes. save the kids. <laughs> yeah, sure. that too. If they don't That's save the kids, the kids don't go back on their spaceship, and the world ends. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that could be bad. We don't want that. But they do manage to get away. They manage to uh, fight everybody off, trick everyone, get to the spaceship, and then Burke and his group corner them. Um, Seth manages to make everybody's density so hard that when they start shooting at everyone, uh, the bullets bounce off, they get in the spaceship, manage to fly away. So they escape Burke and those guys. Uh, they do not, however, escape the siphon who is in the spaceship with them, uh, and we get the big climactic fight between the siphon and the rock, who, or Jack Bruno, who throws the siphon into the exhaust, and, and that it thus endeth the, th- the threat of this movie. Yes. Yeah. I, actually, I was wondering if the ship was actually... that. W- I'm glad they didn't get into it, but it looked like it was supposed to be running, not so much exhaust, but running off of being a uh, like a point singularity. Because they talked about wormhole travel, you know, and you need a gravity force to travel through a wormhole, according to Einstein anyway. Right? So, just saying. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, from the design, I just got really, like, old-timey, like, well, old, old-fashioned, old like, UFOs. Like that, you know, the round shape and all that. It looked very much like what they would have wanted to do in Escape to Witch Mountain, but they didn't have the money to do it. Right, so instead it was just a cardboard cutout. Yeah. <laughs> and a quick note about the climax of this movie. Um, the whole the way that everything plays out reminds me of a really good Doctor Who episode because the siphon is a lot like the Cybermen. 
and you you have on the one on the one side you've got the siphon who's like the cybermen then you have the humans who are might even be well intentioned but they don't have all the right information so they're making the wrong decisions and then at the center you have the rock who's like the doctor and you have Carl Gugino who's like the companion who's just kind of been brought along for the ride and a couple of aliens who are in trouble yeah, I, I you know if I was still lagging into a specific Doctor Who episode, I'd say that episode where Rose reactivates the Dalek. Yep, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's the last Dalek or something like that. I think it's just called Dalek, if I'm not mistaken. It's, it's yeah, it's like it's the one where they're supposed to be the last. Do- it's supposed to be the last Dalek in the universe. <laughs> Little did they know. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and my note is that I'm not saying that The Rock should be the next Doctor, but I wouldn't object to him having a weekly space adventure show. <laughs> or maybe, or maybe just aliens come fight him every week. Wait, 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 would it go like this? Rock in space. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, I just want to see The Rock in his wrestling persona taking on a Dalek <laughs> in the ring. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Exterminate! (laughs) I can imagine that. It's a little scary. It's true. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, the movie ends with uh, the Rock and uh, Friedman being dropped off, and uh, Seth and Sarah give them a little thing so that they can always be found uh, by the aliens. Then they promise to take care of Junkyard, and off go Seth and Sarah to their home world. And we get a nice little postscript during the end credits where we find out that Bruno and Friedman wrote a book called Race to Witch Mountain, A True Story. Uh, and they kind of do a big lecture circuit. And that's how they keep the government from striking back at them is, you know, through publicity and those sorts of things. So that is uh, how they how they end up. And they also get uh, they get the car. Yes, yes indeed. Yeah, yeah the, the uh, Highland Green 1968 Mustang Fastback. From bullet. The bullet car. The yep, bullet car, the bullet. yes. I thought it was the bullet car, but yes. Uh, so one big thing that people talk about regarding, regarding the end of the movie is there's this moment where Sarah touches Jack on the forehead in a, for a while. I mean, it's like a noticeable touch, not just a quick thing. And her last words to him are in his head instead of being verbal. Because up until now, communication between them has been completely verbal. So a lot of people question, did that give him telepathy of some sort but we'll never know interesting yeah i don't know good question Uh, one last note before we get to ratings um i don't know if it was mentioned before because uh we mentioned the imdb profile for anna sophia robb and how she'd been in british to Terabithia and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but mm-hmm. Alexander Ludwig, uh, Ludwig, who plays um, uh, Seth in the movie, also pl- just played Cato in the Hunger Games. And he is, since doing his role in Race to Witch Mountain, he has grown up and filled out. Is, is that like, you know, I wonder if that's like that moment with... Um... Edward Scissorhands, where Anthony Michael Hall shows up, and the last time you saw him, he was in Breakfast Club. Oh my gosh, it is it is a lot like that. It's <laughs> it's a weird thing because he's still got the face, but everything else is enormous. <laughs> Fair enough. It is, yeah, that is kind of strange. Yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, that's uh, it's Race to Witch Mountain. I think all in all, uh, probably the best of the series. Would you guys agree of the three? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely too. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's rate this and and uh, and let everybody go and watch it. So uh, I'll I'll let our guests go first. Randy, what did you think on a scale of one to five? <laughs> um, I actually really like this movie. We talked a little bit earlier about the effects, and I th- they did a really great job with the effects, uh, especially for me anyway. That like planetarium, the three dimensional, fully in- immersive planetarium type effect, I thought was really impressive. Um, I have to knock off a little bit because at one point I kept looking at the taxi and thinking, okay, is this a kit in disguise from Knight Rider? Because the thing's been through everything and it still moves with about 45 minutes worth of work by a mechanic. So it took me out a little bit, but I'm not going to knock off too much for that. Uh, But I really did enjoy it. It was when I saw it in the theater, it was good. And then a few years later, coming back and revisiting uh, it was nice to see that I still enjoyed it. So uh, I'm actually going to give it a 3.75. You know what that reminds me of is the van from the second second movie. How like, they get that van all beat up, and then the, then then Tony and Tia have to have to um, repair it with their skills. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, uh, Rachel, what did you think of this one? I would give this three and a half stars. Uh, I really liked this movie. The Rock just sells it. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it would work quite as well if he wasn't in the lead role. Like, the, the special effects and everything are great. All around, the cast is pretty solid. But he's the thing that just makes it work. So, three and a half stars for me. Very good, very good. All right, Cheryl, what about you? I'm going to give this a four and a half. I like this movie a lot. It's one of my favorites because apparently I bought it twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now I have a digital copy and um, great. I'm again, I, I pass, I pass my love of witch mountain along. So two good deeds done. Nice. Nice. All right, Todd. So I'm going to go with a three and a half. And the reason is because this is just, uh, a solid end-to-end science fiction movie, I think. It, it completely fits the bill, the whole alien crashing. And going all the way back to the beginning of this podcast, because remember, Sorcerer Apprentice episode two, we discussed uh, the con- e- even a movie that isn't the greatest movie, when it's very consistent, it does better, which I know was not necessarily the case with Sorcerer's Apprentice. But what, what I'm getting at is that it, you know, what they define and the abilities of the kids and the things they can do and all that, it's a lot more consistent than the first two movies were. And as a result, I think it helps the movie just play so much better than Escape or Return. And the special effects. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with everything you guys are saying. I mean, like, for me, this is just a fun popcorn flick. I mean, you, you, you throw it on and uh, pop some popcorn and have sit back and enjoy yourself. Um, you're not going to get you know deep philosophical arguments about it, but uh, it's just a fun little action flick, uh, light story, but 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 fun to watch. Um, it's just probably not as involved as as other things, and so yeah, I would give it a three and a half as well. So I think we're all right in that same range. Um, Cheryl on the high end, but you like it? Nothing wrong with that. All right, so uh, we want to thank our guest, Randy Crane, for joining us. Thank you, Randy. 
My pleasure. I'm so happy to have been here and been able to be part of the discussion. Thank you. All right. Uh, and so you can find us if you want to be on the show. You can email us, disneyfilmproject@gmail.com, Or uh, if you have other things to tell us, you can find us on Facebook at Disney Film Project. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at Diz Film Project. Um, or you can find us on the website, DisneyFilmProject.com, and leave a note in the show notes. So uh, until next week, for Rachel, Cheryl, and Todd, I'm Ryan, and we will see you soon. Did you get in a fight with a rhinoceros? Poor Rhino. It was the Buddha. He's unavailable. There's no need to apologize, Jack Bruno. You're not always the one to blame. You know what aliens look like? They look like like little green people with antennas and, and laser guns and take me to your leader, Earthlings. You just can't drop the we're aliens bomb just like that on somebody.